0: Good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning. His bones. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, instructive, life-giving by the presence of the Holy Spirit word of God to us. Father, help us continue to worship. You're so good. We thank you for the words of these songs. We thank you for your Holy Spirit carrying us. Carry me and carry us now through this passage as we journey and commune with you over it. At this moment, looking back, it points in our own lives and looking forward to the future. You are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You are our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So faith, as this Hebrews chapter 11 has been constantly pounding us, has made it clear, faith, it is a heart, a a desire factory that, that seeks God. It seeks what God says, seeks what He promises in blessing and goodness and mercy and unending longevity. And here, we see it in the lives of Abraham, that faith, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And again, he shows us faith is largely future-oriented. It's object, the promises are still future. This morning, our concern is just to deal with this greatest act of faith in human history outside of Jesus' and that's Abraham. To be a Christian means to have a life of tests, trials. God brings trials. In order to test and to grow our faith. As with Abraham, God commands us all in the scriptures. And as Abraham, we struggle to believe. We struggle, thus, to obey. God will test and purify and develop and grow the faith of those who are his. Verse 17 begins, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Abraham was put to the test By God. And God's purpose for Him and God's purpose for us in testing our faith is not in order to make our faith fail. But it is to refine it. To purify it. To make it deeper. To make it stronger. This is how the Holy Spirit puts it through the Apostle Peter. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 to 7 In this these great promises of the future you rejoice even though now for a little while since it is necessary you have been grieved by various trials. So that, here's a purpose of it, and that's not Satan's purpose, that's God's purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though gold is tested by fire, but that your faith may be found to result In praise and glory and honor at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So just think about the test. The trials that many of you have already experienced in life to one degree or another. Or maybe going through now. From those trials is your faith deeper? Is it stronger? Has your trust in God's word been purified of, in other words, the impurities brought to the fore and burnt away, the impurities of unbelief? When the father in sovereign providence dips us Christians into the fire of trials, This is is normal. Our initial response is, we're going to be destroyed. But the refiner's fire never destroys indiscriminately like a forest fire. It refines. It purifies. This is Peter's point. It melts down the gold and separates out the impurities that were in the gold and burns them away and thus makes the gold more valuable, leaves the gold intact, becomes solid again. It's now more pure. These trials, these tests, in same word in First Peter as it is in Hebrews 11 for test. They are for a purpose, and it is our Father's purpose. So that the tested genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold, even though it's tested by fire, but that that gold of faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the analogy Peter gives. It's fire. Causes grief at times. They're grievous trials. Causes tears. Causes fear. Causes battle. Causes struggle. They're not fun. It's hot in the fire, but God is the refiner who tests us. And that, as bizarre as it sounds, is a word of hope. And in our passage, Abraham is our model. God, I don't think, has ever cranked up the heat of testing other than Jesus more than he did with Abraham in what this passage is about in referring to the Genesis account. And Abraham was like us, impure, a sinner. His life, like ours, was filled with failures to trust in God. Go, Abraham, and he obeyed. Partially stopped in Haran for years, then made it to Canaan. Then there's a famine. Then he goes off to Egypt, and because of fear, I got to preserve my life, or these promises won't come about. He had to lie about Sarah. Years later, because God, in the fire of test, was testing, He delayed the fulfillment of His promise of a son. So Abraham thought, let me help God out. He sinfully tried to help God out with the Hagar and the Ishmael thing. Later, again, out of fear, That Because his wife was so beautiful, they would kill him, the king, for him. He lied again about Sarah. So don't ever get the idea that our model here, Abraham, started out strong in faith and never, ever faltered. He had struggles. He had ups. He had downs. Just like we do. God tested Abraham. And he tests us. So Peter just throws this line out in chapter 4 of 1 Peter to the Christians around the world throughout the ages. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. It's only strange to those who are not taught the Bible. We are to respond to God's test. Here's the whole point of the lesson that He gives us by the obedience of faith. Let's read verses 17 and 18 again. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So here's his faith, faith by definition, responding to God and what he tells one to do, faith always acts. Faith does things in obedience to God that can only be explained, like here, by the assurance that God will fulfill his promises. And that's the point of where God brought Abraham. His faith was so purified after decades that in this moment you promise this no matter what you tell me to do you're going to keep that promise. Let's look at the story. Genesis chapter 22 that the writer is referring to beginning with verse 1 After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it in his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham was a human being born into sin. He was frail. I mean, that story makes it sound simple. He must have wrestled emotionally with this horrific command. He had a three-day journey to get there. Surely, if God were loving, he would never ask this. Maybe that wasn't God. Maybe that's a trick of my enemy somehow. Because God promised to give me blessing through Isaac, so therefore he wants to wipe out what God promised to do. How applicable Abraham's example is to us. Right now, today. If God were loving. That is, in other words, it's put in what's not said. My philosophical idea of what a loving God would be. Therefore, he would understand that, that I, whom he loves so much, am unfulfilled in my marriage. So therefore, it's, it's okay for me... To divorce. God wants my happiness. And so his word about marriage. What God has joined together. Let not man separate. Obviously is not. For me. God's loving. He wants me to find my true soulmate. Abraham's story teaches us that when God's commands come to us. And tell us to do something that is difficult or painful. We're called to obey with a heart of trust. I mean, it may be our brothers and sisters in Christ in the AD 200s in the Roman Empire. Who were faced with deny Christ is kurios. As Lord. And confess Caesar is Lord in that stead. And they had a choice to obey Jesus and not deny. At the cost of prison or death. Or maybe in our day standing for the truth. That there are only two sexes. Standing for the truth that all human sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a male and a female, it is sin against God. And to stand for truth at the cost of losing your job or your social credit score. Or maybe the call to love a difficult person. Or it may be the call to forgive someone who has greatly wronged you personally. And there are other difficult revelations in the scripture that God gives us. They come to us and they demand our submission to them. Like God's revelation of himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It demands grasping, loving, and believing in God, the Holy Trinity. Or in Christ, one person, two natures. Or as God reveals himself in Scripture as the one who is absolutely sovereign over all things. In other words, part of deepening faith is accepting him as he has revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures. So Abraham here, after years of trials and growing strong in faith, he surrendered to God here that which was most valuable, precious to him. So let's look at it. The text uses three phrases that I think hammer home how difficult the battle of faith was, how difficult it was for Abraham to offer up Isaac. First, notice that phrase, he who had received the promises. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. So, God, he had repeatedly Promised to make Abraham a great nation. Abraham and Sarah waited twenty-five years since God promised the son. And didn't happen for twenty-five years. And then finally, Isaac was born. He is the fulfillment of the promise that's gonna come through Isaac, who will have children and children and children's children. And now God says to a 13-year-old boy who has no, about a 13-year-old boy who has no children, Abraham, kill him. Burn him. The second phrase, he was in the act of offering up his only son. Now, he is his only son because he's the son of promise. Obviously, yes, he had, Abraham had Ishmael. And he had other sons through Keturah later. But he's the only son of promise. Only son is monogenes here. The unique son. The, the one of promise. And it's horrible. I don't know if there's a more painful thing than losing a child as a human being. Much less being called by the one who created you. and The one in whom you trust to kill him. But imagine how much greater this act was even now when you add God, you promised through Isaac. That's where the blessings come in. You want me to kill him before he has any descendants, but you promised descendants. And Isaac grabbed the knife. And he most likely at that point had it raised up. And then there's a third phrase. He elaborates on the unique son, Isaac, in verse 18. Isaac, the one he's about ready to kill, of whom it was said by God to him, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now Abraham, kill him and burn him. Abraham is called the father. Of our faith. I think the teaching is clear. God should be more valuable to us than even the most precious gifts that He has given to us. And that this is the direction That saving faith is always seeking. That is what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children, And brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, in comparison is his point. In comparison with our love for him, our love for those who are the closest and most valuable to us, It should seem like hatred if we compare our love. We as believers, it's part of the testing in the Christian life and there are failures and there are successes. We are always in great danger of shifting our focus from the giver to the gifts young person on fire for Jesus, prays for years for a spouse, and then God finally grants the husband, the wife, and a few years down the road, their heart slowly turns away from God as their treasure to the gift in His place. The gift becomes an idol, and it replaces their love in devotion to God. The giver gives gifts. Oh, he gives all kinds of temporal, wonderful gifts. It's why it's a great thing to, to pray at least once a day as you eat. Thank you. Because as a believer, you know you wouldn't have had that. You wouldn't have had the the ability to work or to earn money or to go to the store and to buy it if it weren't for God's sovereign providence in your life. So you pray. The giver gives gifts like a plush job. Money. Things. Children. A ministry. And all of it should be accepted enjoyed every morning as you wake up if you have it with a grateful heart and all of it is a danger there's a tension because the enemy he loves to use and our sin loves to use God's gifts as tools for stealing our faith. That was the whole game plan of Satan concerning Job, wasn't it? He goes to God and he says, Well, Job, yeah, he worships you. Yeah, he lives this way. But God, the only reason he does that is because all the stuff you give him. He doesn't really love you. He loves the stuff. And God said, no, you're wrong. I'll show you. So what happens if God says, take your wife? Take your house. Take your child. Take your ministry and sacrifice it on the altar. Can we, here's the test, can we, through hardship, in the long run, Job had a lot of struggle, in the long run, and painfully, with a heart of faith, say with Job, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God wants the absolute first place in our hearts. Even Abraham, if it means offering up Isaac. God tested Abraham It was a severe test of faith when God takes something precious, like the son of his love. Will we obey like Abraham? And There's the key. Will we obey like Abraham obeyed? Well, how did he obey? That's the point of chapter 11. That's the point of this passage. It's the first two words in verse 17. By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. By trust in God. Verse 19 then. It's really the ground of the foundation of that faith. It's the ground of this bizarre obedience of Abraham. Verse 19 explains how <coughs> Abraham's faith reasoned. Listen to faith here. He considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, because he didn't kill him in the long run, got him back. Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, what did he just say? He said, Abraham had faith. Faith, what is it? It counts on God to keep. His promises, even if for God to do so requires something that is humanly impossible. Abraham's faith in God was so great, the writer tells us, that he reasoned, if God wants me to kill Isaac, then for God to keep his promise that he has made to me, he will have to raise Isaac from the dead what he said. That's amazing. Because there was no precedent for such a thing at that time. Abraham didn't have some kind of blind leap of faith. The text says he considered. He thought about it. He thought about God's promise. God promised him that through Isaac shall your offsprings be named Isaac didn't have any kids yet, but God said, kill him. And therefore, God must be planning on raising him from the dead. That's the logic of faith. Here's the test for Abraham. Will he reason his way out of obedience? Or will he trust the humanly impossible that it will come to pass because God is faithful? He considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead then. Abraham's thought process shows us how to work through our trials of faith through our walk. The work of our enemy is to get us to doubt that God's promises are true or that His commands are really for our ultimate good. That was the first sin in the Garden of Eden. It's what Satan whispered into Eve's ear, and she bought, and we all buy it, for we've all sinned. Satan got Eve to doubt God's goodness. Did he really say? You know, God knows you're going to have something that's really good. You'd be like, God, that's going to be really good. And God doesn't want you to have. What's really good, Eve? He's holding back from you. That's why he forbids you to eat of the fruit of that one tree. A good and loving God, that's how it reasons, in doubt. If he were sovereign, he would never permit this trial that I'm going through. And so Satan, he either gets us to doubt God's love or he gets us to doubt God's word about his absolute sovereignty. With Abraham, faith says, even though my current situation seems to go against God's love, I trust that He will work it all together for my ultimate good because He has promised to do so. So some of us right now may be in a trial, may have just come out of a trial. we got trials in front of us. You might find yourself in an Abraham situation. If not, it's coming. Obedience to God in the midst of it often feels like the destruction of a dream if I obey. The destruction of my finances, if I obey, the destruction of a relationship, the destruction of earthly security. It feels like if I follow the scripture, then there's no way God can turn this for my good. If I followed the scripture, some find themselves in this trial during their lives. If I follow the scripture in its command, in my context, biblically, stay married. How can God be loving? If I'm single and he has that me at this time of my life, but God... When he says, No, 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 I could get married to someone the Bible says not to get married to, but should I obey? How could you have my happiness at the forefront of your mind, God? Or how can you have my happiness if you're calling me to confront a close brother in the Lord with their sin? It's uncomfortable. How do you have my happiness in mind? Come on. I'm a young man or a young woman. You call me because I'm single to remain sexually pure? Come on. In our day and age? Is that that really about my happiness, God? We're giving God the first fruits of our labor. Are you trying to destroy me, God? God? But whatever it may be, whatever he's speaking, go to bed earlier so you wake up before you go to work and you have time to pray and read the Bible because by the end of the day, you'll be too exhausted anyway, but whatever he's calling us to. Such, here's the thing, whatever those things are, such what we would call small things. In one sense, I would say, Abraham, sacrifice your son. Okay, small things. In comparison to Abraham, they're huge, really, to us. When that's the issue that God is speaking into our lives. And it can feel scary like Abraham. And feel like the loss of Isaac. The text says, by faith, Abraham. Abraham what? He believed. God's deep love for him in and through all of his commands this story it's here for us it says God Christian so loves you in Jesus Christ you can trust all that he says about himself In scripture, and you can trust that all of his commands to you are ultimately for your good. And like Abraham, if we go on pursuing obedience, this way we will evidence that we are those who make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There are those who desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your loving goodness to us. We thank you for your sweet presence throughout this whole service. Thank you for your presence as you tenderly, as if each one of us, because you are God, were the only object of your fatherly care and love. You speak even right now. as we corporately, together, are praying, thanking you. Oh, as your Apostle Paul said, and it's why it was ultimately true of Abraham, you who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all who believe. How shall you not, through all of your commands and all of your promises, In all of your trials and testings you send us through, how shall you not ultimately give to us all things for our ultimate good to the glory of Jesus? We love you. Amen.